0: Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14 is our text for this morning. And in our text for this morning, Paul continues to emphasize an important fact. And the important fact that Paul continues to emphasize is this, that we as believers are to be imitators of God. And That's what Paul began speaking of back in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, in verses 1 through 7, where we spent the last couple of weeks together, Paul focused on our imitating God in relation to his love. We are to love others as he has loved us. God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're to have a self-sacrificing, humble, other-centered love, as was demonstrated for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That was what verses 1 through 7 focused on. We are to be imitators of God. How, Paul? Well, we're to be imitators of God in relation to his love. Here, beginning in verses 8 through 14, Paul shifts his focus. We're still to be imitators of God, but we are to imitate God in light of a different facet now. We are to be imitators of God in relation not only to his love, but also, as we'll learn this morning, in relation to his light. We are to be imitators of God. and We're to do so in relation to God's light. It's interesting to know that the Bible uses light figuratively, both to represent the intellectual and the moral facets of life. Light, think about it as you read it in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, speaks of both the intellectual facet of life as well as the moral facet of life. Intellectually, light represents truth. And morally, light represents holiness. And so to live in the light, then, which is what we'll look at this morning, means to live in both truth and holiness. It means to walk in both truth and holiness. Well, the figure of darkness in Scripture also has the same two facets. Intellectually, it represents ignorance and falsehood, a lack of understanding of who God is. And morally, it represents that which is evil, which is counter to the nature, character, and revealed attributes of God. As Christians, we are the light of the world. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, and because we are the light of the world, we therefore, as a result, have a massive responsibility. That responsibility is that to us who have stepped into the light, we are now to be light emitters to a dark, decaying world world in which we live how how have we been transferred from darkness to light well in the lord we'll see how are we supposed to live as children of the light well our text for this morning answers that question it answers it first positively it answers it secondly in a negative way and then we'll conclude our text this morning with a stirring charge from paul positive exhortation, a negative exhortation, and then a stirring charge to end our time together this morning. Let's turn our attention to our text for this morning. I want to encourage you to stand if you have the ability with us this morning. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, pins the following words. For at one time you were darkness, but now... For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You may be seated. Three main points on your outline this morning, if you're taking notes. Point number one on your outline is this, in Christ. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. In Christ, if you know him savingly, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness in which you once lived, in which you once tarried, to the kingdom of light. Let me draw your attention back to verses 8 through 10. Let your eyes fall back there in your Bible for just a moment. Paul says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. And there's a parenthesis in Paul's thought there. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Look first at that phrase, for at one time you were darkness. That's where we'll begin this morning. These are startling words. But words that are absolutely true of every single person without exception, before they came to know Christ savingly. Prior to conversion, this statement, this phrase, without exception, is true of every single person who has ever walked the face of the planet save one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Startling words. A Glance back at Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment potentially even there on the same page for you, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, where Paul speaks about this darkness and its consequences. This is what he says. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You want to write a second verse there. That second verse that I mentioned is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they do not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What Paul is telling us here in this very first phrase is that before we came to Christ, our total existence, that is both our being as well as our behavior, was characterized by darkness. Notice that Paul doesn't say that before our conversion or before we came to know Christ savingly that we were in darkness. He doesn't say that we were in darkness, he says that we were darkness, And since our conversion, we are light. Paul's statement here is profound. At one time, that's prior to conversion, you were darkness. But now, that's as a result of your conversion, you are light in the Lord. What do you think is the significance of Paul's statement here? Paul didn't just say, well, you you live in the dark. It's a dark world in which you live and you reside within the confines of that dark world. He said, no, you, you were darkness. What are the significance of Paul's words there? I think that Paul's highlighting the fact that the change that took place was not merely in our surroundings or was not merely around us somewhere. The change that took place at conversion was in you, transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves, into the kingdom of light. And as a result, we are to shine brightly in the midst of this dark world. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Friends, you only need to turn the evening news on to figure out that we live in a twisted and crooked generation. And what are we to do, Paul, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation? Well, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, You're to shine like bright stars. Shine. Shine, Christians, in the midst of a dark, crooked, twisted generation. Shine like lights in the world. Paul says, You were darkness. But he goes on to say, Now you are Light. Interesting to note that the present tense here indicates a new spiritual condition in in contrast to our old spiritual condition. Paul said in Colossians, you want to know where that point comes from? Point number one, it comes exactly right out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, He delivered us, God, He delivered us from the dominion of darkness or the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. How did this radical transformation from darkness to life come about? Look at your Bible there again. You were darkness, but now you are light. Get the next three words there. How did it come about? How did it take place? Paul tells us that it only took place in the Lord. That's in vital union, connected savingly to Him. That's how we are now, Light. And again, since we are light in the Lord, we now have the massive responsibility of being light emitters in the dark world in which we live, light transmitters. That is, from us, light radiates to all those whom we come in contact with, or so it should be. Let me ask you this question, friend. How brightly is your light shining? Would your next-door neighbors know you have a light? Would your co-workers know you have a light? How brightly is your light shining? You see, ever since Jesus, the light of the world, entered into our hearts, we too, in a very analogous way, have become the light of the world. Jesus said that. He made that pronouncement of us in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. And as a result, our lives are to reflect the light of Christ as the moon reflects the sun. We're to walk as children of light. We're beloved children. We've been loved by God. Therefore, we're to love others with the same love of Christ. But we're not only to imitate God in relation to his love, we're also to imitate him in relation to his light, his purity, his holiness, his set-apartness, his otherness in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation in which we live. How are we doing there? Is there clear distinction, not haughty, not puffed up, not proudful, but is there clear distinction between our lives and the world in which we live? Or have we merely jumped in the river and sought to float downstream with the rest of the moral morass that we see taking place in the world? Paul encourages us to walk consistent with our new nature. To walk consistent. He says that. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. You see, the, the command for every believer is to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's John 1, 1 John 1, 1.7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. We as Christians are to consistently walk as children of light. Do we fail? We absolutely fail. Do we even fail in some of the areas that Paul has, has enumerated in, in the previous texts here? Do, do we fail in letting words come out of our mouths that are unwholesome? We do. Do we fail in letting the sun go down in our anger? We do. Do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We do at times by our sin. Do we withhold forgiveness? We do at times. Do we, do we give in to that which is immoral and sensual? We do at times. Do we, do we speak uh, with, with words that are coarse and filthy? We do at times. We fail. Christians sometimes fail, and they fail big time. The thing that sets us apart, number one... Is the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, applied to our otherwise bankrupt accounts. And then secondarily, as a result of that conversion, as a result of that saving grace, our life begins to be conformed in in growing measure to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that progressive sanctification. We fail at times. But the upward trend of our lives is one of walking in light. Why? Because we are light. And that's what light does. Light emits light. We're to consistently walk as children of the light. The the, the whole idea encapsulated in the Greek here is to walk and keep on walking. It's a present imperative. That means do it and keep on doing it and don't stop doing it. Walk in the light, keep on walking in the light. It's impossible to walk in light and in darkness at the same time. It's like oil and water, they don't mix. You can't be in light and in darkness at the same time. Any given thought, any given action, any given word that proceeds from our mouth, it's either a word, thought, action, motivation, deed that is coming forth as light or it's coming forth as darkness. We as Christians who are light in the Lord are to be walking in that very Light. We're to let our knowledge of God and His will consistently be our standard. We're to let holiness and righteousness characterize our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, and our words. And the joy, oh, the joy that a Christian has. thats so different, so other than what you see in the world. The only joy that the world has are the fleeting pleasures of sin. But that's like trying to grab a hand of sand at the seashore it all just slips through the cracks of your fingers. But we, as believers, have lasting joy, lasting satisfaction in knowing Christ in pursuing holiness and seeking to please Him. The joy of a Christian's salvation ought to be the resounding anthem of their lives, and it ought to shine brightly. Paul gives us some immediate application here in our text. I always appreciate it when Paul does that. It doesn't just tell us what to do and not to do, but it gives us some practical application. It tells us how we are to walk in light, what it looks like, what are the characteristics of a person, of an individual who is walking in light because they are light. Number one in your outline, if you're taking notes, is this. If we walk as children of light, the first characteristic here, we will be characterized by goodness, by goodness. So Paul tells us here. One time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Here's the application. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good. If we walk as children of light, our lives will be characterized by goodness. By goodness. It's the word agathos. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Goodness. It means something like generosity. You can Think of generosity there. It has to do, uh, it's got both a moral and a spiritual facet to it. Uh, You might define it by this, sweetness and active kindness. What does goodness mean? Well, it's, it's, it's generosity, it's sweetness and active kindness. Maybe a little bit clearer definition of this, it would be love in action. Love in action. Those who walk in light, those who are light in the Lord have lives that are characterized by love in action. That's goodness. There's a sweet savor to their lives. Paul prayed for this particular fruit of goodness to be manifest in the lives of believers uh, in Thessalonica. This is what he says, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good every work of faith by his power, that God may fulfill every resolve for good in our lives. Love in action. Are we demonstrating that to the world in which we live? I tell you, if we are demonstrating that, you will be a light among darkness. You will have a sweet savor to your life amongst the stench of the world that we live in. If you demonstrate goodness, why? Why? Because goodness has been shown to you, right? Mercy and grace and kindness leading you to repentance. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but given gratuitously. That's what grace is. And so then we turn around and we show goodness to others. Remember that goodness is also one of God's attributes. Psalm 119, 68, amongst a plethora of other texts, says that the Lord is good and does good. Everything that he does is good, always, without exception. Why? Because he is good. God is good and he does good. So to live in all goodness then is to imitate our Father, which takes us back to chapter 5, verse 1. We're to be imitators of God, not only in relation to his love, but also in relation to his light. How are we imitating him in light? We walk in goodness. The fruit of light is found in all that is good. How do you know someone has the garment of light on? How do you know somebody's got the garment of light on, that they've put that on? Well, you just get around them, and you're going to find out pretty quick. Because when you spend time with someone who has the garment of light on, you're going to either walk away convicted or lifted up because everything that that person who's wearing the garment of light does is spiritually beneficial and edifying. That's how you know if a person's wearing the garment of light. You just get around them, and you're either going to be convicted or built up, oftentimes both. Does that describe you? Does it describe me? Are we walking in light? If so, our lives will be characterized, albeit imperfectly, by goodness. Love in action. The second application that Paul gives us there on your outline, if we walk as children of light, we will live righteously. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right, Paul says. All that is good and right. Righteous refers to integrity in our dealings with God and man. We are to live righteous lives, to be rightly related to God, and therefore to rightly interact with man. The word righteous there, it's derived from the uh, Greek root word, which has the idea of that which is straight. So you think of righteous, you think of straightness. Uh, It means to conform to a standard, to conform to a standard or a norm, has the idea of how we live under the rights of God over us. To live righteously has to do with how we live under the rights of God expressed over us. It's a mark upon people who are righteous that they live submissive to God in their words, in their thoughts, in their actions, and in their attitudes to the one who exercises all rights over them. A righteous life, conforming to God's standard of straightness, uprightness. How are we doing there? How are we doing there? How are we doing there when no one's looking? And then let me follow that up and remind you that there's never a time when no one's looking. That's Hebrews 4.13, right? Uh, We are laid naked and bare or exposed before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. There's never a time when you're all alone. If we remember that, it will curb much of our ungodly behavior and will encourage us to pursue righteousness and holiness, that which is pleasing to the Lord. His eyes are on me, and he sees. And I want to please him. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But if we walk as children of light, we will live righteously. Third, if we walk as children of light, we will be truthful. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, Paul says. True. It's the Greek word aletheia. It's actually a compound word. It's a little negative particle, ah, which means no there. And letho means hidden or concealed. So to live truthful lives are to live lives that are not hidden or concealed. Aletheia basically means to, to live out in the open, to be truthful. When we speak of a truthful person, we're referring to one who's honest and reliable, full of integrity. What they say and what they do matches. There's congruency there. There's something about being around someone who has has this garment on as well. An honest person is hard to find sometimes. There's something about being around someone who has the light and walks around as a child of light because you can trust them. They're reliable, they're honest, they're filled with integrity. Does that describe you? Honest, upright, full of integrity, trustworthy. God is all of those things, is he not? Again, let me point you back to verse number one. We're to be imitators of God. God is truthful. Therefore, we are to imitate that. We are to walk as children of light. We are to imitate his truthfulness, reliability, honesty, and integrity. Lastly there, by way of application, if we walk as children of light, then we will seek to please the Lord. Look at your Bible there. Paul says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10. The idea behind the word discern there is to to test or to prove something. Uh, What Paul is essentially saying here is this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Uh, Paul's saying, the fruit of all light consists in that which is good and true and right. Now, examine yourselves. Discern what is the will of the Lord and try to please Him. See if you are in the faith by measuring your life up against the standard of of the Bible. Imperfect, you better believe it. Growing, we shall be. If the bud of truth and righteousness and goodness do not exist in our lives to some degree, if even in their bud form, then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we then children of the light? Have we ever stepped into the light? Are we walking in the light as he is in the light? If the the fruit, even in bud form, does not exist in our lives, then we need to ask ourselves a whole other set of questions. Essentially what Paul is saying here when he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, essentially what he's saying is examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. You see, every person without exception bears fruit. Every person without exception bears fruit. Those who are darkness bear bad fruit. Those who are light bear good fruit. Uh, If you want to study this on your own, I would uh, commend you to uh, read uh, Matthew chapter 7, the person who doesn't bear some fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth in his or her life has no claim on Christ. Again, imperfect, yes. Growing, we shall be. Okay? The person who does not bear some fruit, even if in bud form of goodness, righteousness, and truth, has no claim on Christ. Because there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Where there is light and life, there will be evidence of light and life. Where there is darkness and death, there will be evidence of darkness and death. And friends, let me share with you this. Assurance of salvation, though we can and should possess it, As we continue to walk with God through the years, we should be increasingly assured of our salvation, increasingly anchored, tethered to the gospel message that says, He saved me not because of works done by me in righteousness, but because of His mercy. And therefore, I have great assurance of my salvation. But assurance of salvation cannot be reliably determined by what has happened in the past, no matter how dramatic an experience may have been. Assurance of salvation cannot be reliably determined by what has happened in the past. It can only be based with certainty on the evidence of present fruit being born. catch that? That's important. That's important. The question is, am I walking in light right now? Not that I have some experience, not that I pray some prayer, not was I part of this committee or on this leadership team or not have I been a church member for X amount of years. The question is, am I walking in the light right now? Right now. And is there fruit of that, at least in its bud form, evident and being demonstrated in my life? Well, how do we determine what's pleasing to the Lord? Paul says there, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, Again, I submit to you that essentially what Paul's saying there is examine your life. I've just given you the list, guys. I've just given you three fruits there of light. Examine your lives and see if you are living a life. See if you are proving a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how would we do that? How would we determine what is pleasing to the Lord? Now, let, me, let me submit to you that we certainly do not determine what pleases the Lord by our own feelings. Feelings fluctuate moment by moment we don't determine what is pleasing to the lord by looking to our feelings does it feel right therefore it must be pleasing to the lord bad news bears don't do that don't do that we don't determine uh, what is pleasing to the lord by what the world or even other christians might say or think okay that's not the standard as to what's pleasing to the lord Neither do we seek to determine what is pleasing to the Lord by our own conscience. And the reason I say that is because it is very possible to have a conscience that is informed improperly. Okay? So then how? If not by those means, then how? How do we discern, how do we prove whether our lives are pleasing to the Lord? Well, we learn what pleases the Lord through growing to understand His Word. This is the standard. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not what other people say, lost people or other believers, not even your own conscience because it's possible to have a conscience that's improperly informed. How do I know what is pleasing to the Lord? Open your Bible. Open your Bible. You will find what is pleasing to the Lord. The heart of every believer is to please his or her master. David said it this way in Psalm 19. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. It's the word pleasing in your sight. Likewise, Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He said, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. When you think about that word aim, I think about intentionality. If you're playing darts, you don't just blindfold yourself and throw a dart. You'll hit the wall. That's why my son doesn't have a dartboard in his room, because I'd have holes in my walls. Okay? When you're playing darts, you're intentional. You aim before you throw the dart. Paul says, I make it my aim, whether I'm here or away, at home in the body or away, I make it my aim, my intentional aim, to please the Lord. You see, because of our relationship with the one who has snatched us out of the pit, we now evaluate as believers our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes and our words by the question, will this please the Lord? I hope you evaluate your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, and your motivations by that question. Confessions of a pastor. I don't always evaluate my actions and attitudes, thoughts, and words. By asking first, will this please the Lord? Does this please the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me? Let me give you two two kind of helpful tests here. And we could add uh, questions to this. But let me me give you two tests or two questions to ask as, as to whether or not something is potentially pleasing to the Lord. You ready? This is not on your outline. It's a freebie. Number one. Will it point others to Christ? Think about what you're going to say. Think about your actions. Think about your intentions and your motivations. Don't become wildly introspective. That's not helpful. But consider, will this, fill in the blank, point others to Christ? It's a good question. To help you discern whether or not something is pleasing to the Lord. Question number two. Would I be ashamed? If Jesus were to return, would I be ashamed if Christ were to return? Two helpful questions. And again, we could add a litany of other questions there, but just two simple questions. Is it pleasing to the Lord? Well, will it point others to Christ? And would I be ashamed in any way if Jesus Christ were standing here watching me now? Because remember, he's standing here watching me now. You see, an unbeliever may be a good man or even somewhat righteous and upright, at least outwardly. He may even be regarded as truthful, but at the end of the day, everything that a believer does is motivated by self. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer seeks, albeit imperfectly, to please the Lord, and an unbeliever does that which he or she does without regard to whether or not it pleases the Lord, but whether or not it feels good, or whether or not I want to do it. It's all, it's all born out of selfish motives for, for our own image or our, our own gain. But believers live to please their Savior. Time flies when you're having fun. Number two on your outline. The nature of light is to expose darkness. Here's the negative. Paul gave us the positive in point number one. In Christ, you've been delivered from the, from the dominion of darkness. And so walk then. Walk in the light. Walk as children of light. That's the positive exhortation. Now, Paul, as a good teacher, spins it a little bit and he, he teaches using negative exhortation. And the negative exhortation is this the point of your outline is the nature of light is to expose darkness. Let your eyeballs float down to verse 11 through 13. Here's the negative exhortation. Paul says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. The negative is to expose that which is in darkness. The negative is to take no part in those fruitless activities. That's what Paul says there. He says, take no part. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's just another way of saying this, friends. Don't follow the crowd. College students, don't follow the crowd. Young people, don't follow the crowd. Daddies, don't follow the crowd. Mommies, don't follow the crowd. Aunts and uncles, don't follow the crowd. Older generation, don't follow the crowd. Not only don't follow the crowd, but set an example for the the younger generation of what a life that imitates the Lord looks like. Wise Solomon said this, he said, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Paul said it this way, a familiar verse to many of you. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, there's that word again, by proving, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't take part. Don't jump in the stream and just float down with the rest of the world, talking as they talk, thinking as they think, acting as they act, motivated by the things they're motivated by, loving the things they love laughing at the things they laugh at, watching the things they watch. Take no part, Paul says. That's that's what holiness means by definition. It means to be set apart. And if I can take you all the way back to our study of Ephesians in chapter 1, we have been set apart unto holiness. He saved us that we might be growing in a holy life. That's just another way of saying, be imitators of God. Don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. It's an interesting word there, unfruitful. It has the idea of being sterile, unfit, unprofitable, not good. The works of darkness are unfruitful. They're sterile with regard to being able to glorify God or love others as Christ loved us. And you say, well, what are these works of of darkness? Okay, I know what what three of the works of light are. I'm to be growing in goodness, I'm to be growing in righteousness, and I'm to be growing in truth. And the the list is longer than that. That's just what Paul enumerates for us here in verse 9. But you ask yourself, well, okay, Paul, what are these works of darkness? What are these unfruitful works of darkness? Well, we don't have to look very far For a fairly expansive, though again not exhaustive, list. Let your eyes glance back to chapter 4 and just walk through the text with me. Look at chapter 4, verse 19. What are the unfruitful works of darkness? Well, beginning in chapter 4, verse 19, sensuality and impurity. Look at verse 25, falsehood. Verse 28, theft. Verse 29, corrupt talk. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Shift over to chapter 5 now, verse 3, sexual immorality. Verse 4, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, and then verse 5, idolatry. We don't have to go very far outside of the very text we're sitting in this morning for a fairly expansive, though not exhaustive list of what the works of unfruitful darkness look like. Paul says, take no part in these things. Why? Because I'm to put off the old self with its old desires. You see, the old man used to desire those things. The old man used to crave that very list. Paul says, but you've been renewed. Put put on the new man who's being renewed after the image of its maker. Okay? Now, friends, that's a daily battle, by the way. You have got to, as I have got to, put your feet on the floor every morning by putting off and putting on. And multiple times throughout the day, You'll have to put off and put on. Okay? The, 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 the biblical call to growing in Christ's likeness and growing in holiness isn't just put off. It's not just stop doing this list of things. There's got to be a corresponding put on. Okay? Holiness doesn't happen in a vacuum. I've got to put off that which is unpleasing to the Lord. I've got to put on that which is pleasing to the Lord. How are we doing there? Paul says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. And then he goes on here and he says, but rather expose evil deeds. Look again at verse 11. The Christian's responsibility goes even further than not participating in the old sinful ways of the world. Instead, we're to expose them. Paul, what are you saying here? Well, what Paul's saying here is to ignore evil is actually to encourage it. To ignore evil is actually to encourage it. To keep quiet about it is actually to promote it. The verb translated expose here carries the idea of reproof or correction or discipline. the point that Paul is trying to make is this, is that we who are light are to confront sin with intolerance. Why? Because God confronts sin with intolerance. God never, capital N, capital E, capital V, capital E, capital R, never tolerates sin. If you ever have question about that, let me direct your eyes to the cross. Okay? Now, we who are light are not only to live in the light and to not be a part of those unfruitful works of unrighteousness, but we are also to expose evil in the world. Now, we're to do that in grace and in truth with humility Galatians 6, with a spirit of gentleness, okay? We're not attacking, we're not, we're not coming barrels blazing, but we are being honest. We're calling sin, sin, okay? We're calling sin, sin. I, I, have, a, I have a problem, and this may get me in trouble, but I have a problem with a lot of pop, modern pop psychology, And the reason that I have a problem with a lot of modern pop psychology is because at the end of the day, what it is, is just a redefinition of sin. So now we're not focused on the fact that you're you're a sinner, now you have this disorder. And so we'll just call you that because you can't help it and that's just the way you are. No, friend, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can help it if you're in Christ. With the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, you can't do it on your own. But to label you and to call it something other than sin is counter-biblical. We're to expose evil deeds. We're to call sin, sin. We're to do it graciously. We're to do it in a caring way. We're to do it with love and truth. But we're to call sin, sin. We're to take a stand for purity. Evil practices can neither be be, uh, tolerated uh, or ignored. Or not ignored, rather. They must be exposed for what they are. You may have heard the old saying one time, the only thing necessary for evil to run rampant is for good men to do nothing. The only necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Jesus called his followers, and this is inclusive of us, the salt of the earth. And the primary significance of that metaphor was that salt is a retardant against corruption. Friends, exposing darkness in this world is not an easy feat and it won't gain you status or popularity. Our culture puts a premium on tolerance and it loves the open-minded, the non-judgmental, the live and let live philosophy of life. The problem is, is that God's word offers us no such option. If the word of God deems something wrong or sinful, then we who are light in the Lord ought to never call it otherwise. Now, Be careful when you laugh at what the world laughs at. Because by laughing at what the world laughs at, we're calling it okay. We're jumping right in and saying it's it's not sinful because the world looks at us and says, well, they're doing it, and so it must not be that bad. If the word of God deems something sinful, then we who are light in the Lord ought never call it otherwise. Either in the way we respond to it or in what we do or what we say. It doesn't mean that we walk around all day long making the aim of every moment to bark out, thus says the Lord's, okay? But it does mean that we call sin, sin, and we expose it rather than turning a blind eye to it. Standing for what is righteous in God's side I mentioned it won't win you a popularity contest. You'll be labeled negative, narrow-minded, judgmental, puritanical, potentially even bigoted, But it's a good thing that we aren't called to seek the approval of man. Paul said, if I was still seeking the approval of man, I would would not be pleasing Christ. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You see, darkness hates light. Jesus, that was said about Jesus. John chapter 3, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, speaking about Jesus. And the light exposed the darkness. And the darkness hated the light. And Jesus turned to his disciples oftentimes and said, hey, guys, just an FYI, they'll treat you the same way they treated me. If they listen to my teaching, they'll listen to your your teaching. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And they'll do these things because you bear my name. So we ought not find it, uh, it it ought not kick us off kilter when when the world uh, doesn't like what we stand for. Because the Bible tells us that darkness hates the light. But having said that, In God's wisdom and in His grace, some will respond to the light they see and hear from your life and from your mouth. Some will see and respond in faith and repentance and will step into the light and will become a light emitter in this crooked and twisted generation in which we live. Call that spiritual multiplication. Paul gives us a word of caution. We're out of time. Let's bring it to a close here and land the plane. Look at verse 12, Paul says, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. I mean, think about this. Some diseases, some chemicals, some nuclear byproducts, for example, are so extremely deadly that even the most highly trained and the best protected technicians and scientists who work with them are still in constant danger. That's kind of a picture there for you. No sensible person would work around such things carelessly or haphazardly. Neither should we. Uh, Let let me me tell you this, talking about sin can encourage it in your life if you're not careful. Interest in sin can be aroused much easier than you think. And so Paul says, be careful. Don't even talk about those things which they do in secret. Doesn't mean that we don't call sin, sin. Sin. Paul's not negating what he just said previously, but he's just saying there, there there are some ways to talk about things, there are some ways to describe things that are unfruitful and unprofitable. Some Christian authors have written about moral issues in such a way is as unprofitable to the Christian reader, because by reading their explicitness, it can actually encourage one to sin. You need to be careful. Paul gives us a word of warning there. Number three on your outline, here's the stirring charge. Walking in light requires spiritual wakefulness. Walking in the light requires spiritual wakefulness. Look at verse 14, Paul says, For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're not exactly sure who Paul's quoting here, potentially Isaiah, but there are some commentators, not a few commentators, as a matter of fact, that believe that Paul's words here in verse 14 actually come from an old Easter hymn that was sung by the early church and was used even as an invitation to unbelievers who might be in the congregation. There are some unbelievers in the congregation this morning. I think verse 14 has implications for both believers and unbelievers. Speaking of unbelievers, this phrase, awake, O sleeper, it describes the sinner who's asleep in darkness of sin and unaware of his lost condition and his tragic destiny. Awake, O oh sleeper. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, awake, repent, turn from your sin, trust Christ, trust Christ alone. Like a spiritual Rip Van Winkle, he'll sleep through God's time of grace until someone awakens him to his predicament and need. Arise from the dead, that phrase there, it's a summons to repentance. Repentance. And an appeal to turn away from the dead ways of sin. Arise from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, and arise. Walk away from it. And the phrase, Christ will shine on you, that's the good news that God has provided a remedy for our sin through the person and work of his son crucified on Calvary's cross, the Savior of the world. But speaking to believers, I think the implication here, or the text here has implications for believers. And here it is. is. There are some of us here this morning who indeed are light in the Lord, but who are slumbering. And you need to wake up. You need to wake up. Though every Christian will shine as a result of his or her union with Christ, there are some Christians who, because of their spiritual apathy and lethargy, do not shine very bright. It's possible to be asleep and to appear awake. It's possible to pray while asleep, mouthing phrases that that others have used before. It's possible to sing a hymn without being awake to the words. It's possible to walk while asleep and end up in harm's way. It's possible to live a dreamly life of unreality in the netherland of inaction. And if that's you here this morning, if you're sleepwalking, Paul says, wake up. Let me take you back to our study just a couple of weeks ago. Life is war. Life is war. War. Okay, wake up, friends. Wake up. Soldiers don't sleep on the front lines of a battlefield. Rather, they're alert, they're vigilant, they're prepared for action. The Christian life is not a fairy tale. If you have any doubts to that, we're getting ready to turn the page into Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul's going to tell us, put the armor on. Gird up your loins, get ready. You're stepping out onto the battlefield. We need to wake up. Jesus told Peter that Satan would love to sift him like wheat. So the question I have this morning is, are you walking in the light? If you look at your life, can you you test? Can you discern that it's pleasing to the Lord? By what basis, Paul? Truth, righteousness, goodness. Let me leave you with this poem this morning, penned by a well-known hymn writer. He said this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me. Thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. You going to walk in that light until traveling days are done? I hope so.